how dare you? I have six years of experience. But really, it was yeah. a startup because it, I, I was at that point where I was looking at, okay, what, why? <laughs> why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it that I want to get up to in the world? How is that going to happen? Mapping it out, doing a business plan, all those things. And it was really wow. as much as I railed against it. <laughs> like, how dare you? How very dare you? After accidentally falling into the world of banking, Gitanjali Trevorrow Seymour likes to say that she accidentally fell out of a tube when the department heads at her bank were all axed in one fell swoop. As her career in the banking sector ended, she was left wondering what she actually wanted to do with her life. After much reflection and consideration, she started a training and coaching company. A few years into the business, Gitanjali realized that having 80% of her revenue sitting with a single client was a mistake when over a single phone call, that relationship ended taking with it 80% of her revenue. She has spent the past few years rethinking how a time-based service business should charge clients and building a business that is not dependent on herself to grow. My name is Nick Harrell-Ambus and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Hey, welcome back to It's Not Over. I am sitting today with Gitanjali Trevorrow Seymour. What a name. I had to practice <laughs> that a lot. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am fantastic and thank you. What a great pronunciation. Yeah, it's. I like to squeeze as many letters into my name as possible. So just to make it as tricky as possible. 100%. You're one of the few people who beat me on name lengths with Nicholas oh, yeah. Haralambus. I, I understand your frustration, but mine is not as extreme as your double-barreled surname. I had reduced down, actually, by a previous manager. They said the surname was too <sighs> long too much. and complicated. And bearing in mind I was in sales, it was like, it's too, choose, choose one half of your surname, she said, that you want on your business cards. And then she said, actually, wow. just choose Seymour because it's Trevor is too difficult to spell to clients. And so it, wow. it became Peter.Seymour. That was actually my email what? address and on my business cards. <laughs> I mean, this is not part of our show at all, but how does that make you feel? Like... Well, I think at the time I was just, there was a sort of, I and, and it does speak to a lot of the, you know, concepts I'm sure we'll talk about today around choice and conscious choice of like, yeah. oh, actually, I didn't really see that I had a choice in that matter. It was just like, okay, well, that's too difficult. And, and I, I was just like, oh, okay. All right. Yep. And then that was fine. And literally I went back and worked for that client when I left and started my own business and people would meet me like people that I had known for many years when I worked for that company. And they'd see Trevorrow Seymour and they'd say, oh my gosh, did you get married? I'm like, no, no, I didn't. And so now I've got to explain that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's so funny when you say that you just didn't know you had a choice at that point. A friend of mine got divorced a couple of years ago and she didn't want to keep her surname of the, the husband. And at work, her email was her previous surname. Mm. And so we just said to just ask them to change it. And she literally said, Shit, I'd never thought of that. You're, like, That's, you're allowed to ask them to change it. Like you're on your LinkedIn, you're allowed to change your name. That's appropriate. It's wild. Okay, yeah. so that was a, an interesting way to kick off. So now I'm going to ask you to tell us very briefly what you do now and what business we're going to be talking about. And then I'll evolve the questions from there. What do I do now? So my, my company is all about making life professionally and personally a richer, deeper, more meaningful experience of this one wild, precious life that we have. Mind you, I'm half Indian, so maybe we get it multiple times. But just in case, 
just in case. Let's squeeze. Make the most of it now. Exactly. Squeeze the most out of this one that we can. <laughs> and we do it. I was 15 years in banking, so we do it predominantly for leaders in organizations that are within financial services. So whether that's fintech increasingly, which is quite an interesting space, as well as more traditional banking, investment banking, which was my background, as well as insurance companies, and increasingly smaller companies, which is really, well, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, but an interesting space for me without that big machine that goes behind some of these, you know, multinational giant organizations that have previously what we're still working with as clients. And and we're really about changing the way that people experience their life, as I said, whether as a leader, and you can lead from any seat, top tip, you can lead from any seat, little L or bigger. And we do it through executive coaching, leadership coaching and leadership development programs. So the more traditional approach in terms of well, it's not traditional, actually. Who am I kidding? It's definitely not traditional. More in the that that space that people would see as a traditional sort of training space, but that has definitely evolved over the last few years. Okay, great. And we're going to talk about this. I'm going to minimize this a little, so excuse me here, but we're going to talk about this coaching business and training business now. That's the story. Yep. High definition you. High definition you. Great mm-hmm. name. So you were in banking for 15 years and then when, what year around did you decide to leave banking and start this company? Well, decide to leave is generous because the decision was made for me in that okay. I was head of EMEA for reward and recognition for one of the banks here out at Canary Wharf. And I always think of it as I accidentally fell into banking. And so I I accidentally fell out of it. All of the heads of the regions were cut and everything was centralized back to the States. So Uh. it was one of those moments where it was like, oh, I'm all grown up now. What do I actually want to do? And in that cliched, well, cliches are cliches because they're universal truths, right? It was, well, actually to the point around conscious choice, it's like, oh, what? what do I want to do? Because this Mm. certainly wasn't the plan. And as much as I had a very rewarding career and I got promoted, I was in leadership roles. I managed, you know, multiple million pound books like P&Ls, but actually it was like, "Mm, what do I want to do? And then I did something quite unexpected for a year. And that was, I decided to have a three-way relationship. Um, Yeah. With two guys. One was named Ben and one was named Jerry. And uh, Ben and Jerry and I, we just hung out for like a year in my pajamas in bed together. Whilst for I... those of you who don't know, Ben and Jerry's is an ice cream brand. <laughs> just in case you're unaware of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying, Nick, because yeah, that may have gone a very My international way. listeners might be wondering <laughs> about why a business podcast is talking about a thruple with two guys who started an ice cream company. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So thank that you for the great. clarification. Yeah, whilst I, whilst okay, I. Okay, so I mean, jokes aside, that was a bit of a depression, right? Oh, uh, it the, was you, totally, you, absolutely spiraled into epic amounts of self doubt, lack of confidence, which is why now one of the talks I give is the con of confidence. Zero confidence, and I had people saying to me, "You should." should with the inverted comment do communication skills and leadership development work and I'm like who the hell would pay me for that and what have I got to say about that well it turns out I've got quite a lot to say (laughs) and it turns out people will pay me and turns out I can build a business on that where I now have coaches doing that as well but in that acute time it really was not apparent to me and I couldn't see how that would work. And I sort of eked my way out of that, which is a whole other conversation of how to get out of that spiral of self-doubt yeah. and 
lack of sense of control and confidence and and out of bed and out of the yeah. Ben and Jerry's threesome and into <laughs> actually <laughs> creating something, right? creating yeah. something new. I mean, I'm. I, it's not what this podcast is focused on, but a lot of what we do talk about is imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all of those things. So in short, how did you overcome that, that worry that, oh, nobody's going to pay me for this or I'm not an expert here. What do I have to say about it? Because, you know, there's a phrase that I love to use that's what's big in your world is not big in the mm-hmm. world. And the opposite applies here is you did know stuff that you didn't think the world valued. So how did mm-hmm. you kind of ov- overcome that? I did what a lot of my very senior female executive clients do, like at CEO and partner level, and I'm sure men do this. I just don't see it quite as much, is I credentialized myself as much as I could. Like I, I got more certifications, like I've got qualifications, which I adore, by the way, because I'm a, totally in love with the brain in neuroscience, in whole brain, in leadership, in like, because I thought that externally, that's what I needed. And then wow. that was one key big part of it was like, okay, let me hook on to something else. Minus like the 15 years experience I already had seemed to not have any value to me. And then the other thing I did is <laughs> I had a really great advocate who just said, you're doing this and you're doing it with a, a partnering with another company that's coming in to do a piece of leadership work. And I've told them you're coming in to do it with them. So there was that of like really benefiting from having people around you that really believe in you mm. and then pushing you in that direction. But even if you don't have that, and for me, even if I hadn't had that, what I did end up doing was partnering with other people myself and, and two things, looking at others and going, oh, wow, that's amazing. I couldn't possibly be like that. And then looking at others and starting to see like, oh, Oh God, I'd love to, oh, I'd love to add something into that. And then that bit becoming the curiosity bit, which is what I always talk Mm. about. And as you do too, of like Mm -hmm. being more curious is why it's up there. Yeah. Being more curious yeah. than afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really useful. I I like to tell people with imposter syndrome specifically that you have to understand that if you weren't ready for the opportunity, it wouldn't be there. It's, it's like it's really that simple. Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole conversation on this and I'd love to, let's do that definitely another time because I I did do a whole talk on imposter syndrome and I often do. And the first thing I say is there's no such thing as imposter syndrome. So it's a whole other thing because now- Whole other thing. Whole whole other thing. Truth, (laughs) truth. Okay, so heartbreak into you get over your year with Ben and Jerry's. You then start getting this client because someone forced you into partnering and building and doing, which is great. Actually, doing is better than thinking. Doing is a good way to get over shit. So you start doing, and I mean, what year was this that you kind of kickstarted this business? Mm, Like 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like 10 years? 10 years. Oh, yeah. And I I was a slow start. So anyone that's here, like, where am I in my business? And I should be further along or whatever rabbits, as I call them, that you have jumping about in your head about it, is mm. I didn't, but I didn't think I had a business. Mm. That was the other thing is I didn't, I didn't start a business. Like I feel like a lot of the people that you talk to are really, truly entrepreneurs. It's like, I've got this idea, I'm starting a business, you know, get some funding or not. And here I go. I was just like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I'll do that. Oh, okay. They'll pay me for that. Oh, okay. And oh, I kind of have something to say about that. Whereas now it's like, oh, actually, Really, and that that was a change as a result of you know what we'll talk about today. Where I went, oh wait a minute, I'm there's more than me. Yeah, 
in this yeah. vision that I have. And actually, you know, when people, you know, I was very privileged to be recognized as one of the top 100 female entrepreneurs in the UK a couple of years back. And I was like, oh God, I'm an entrepreneur. Right? It's like, oh, okay, all that right. So um, oh, they, they think I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, I must be. That's oh, amazing. Right. Is it? Okay. Yeah. And, and that's kind Our of brains here. now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting to me. You were basically taking on clients and coaching and doing things maybe in your head as a consultant, less than uh, an entrepreneur. A lot of training. So I really okay. saw myself more as a trainer. Interestingly, what I realize now is. There is a there was quite a lot of consulting and still is that goes on that that wasn't like paid consulting because that's the conversation part of it of like what do you actually need like that's fine yeah. we can sell you a resilience course we can sell you a time management course we can sell you a communication course but actually the conversations that I was having I didn't again didn't mm. realize that actually that oh not even I, that I didn't realize you could get paid for that it was just like God, there's real value in. People would come yeah. off of those calls and they still do. They're like, God, that was really valuable just to actually talk through that out loud. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's it's so interesting that we, and it is a theme that comes up on this show a lot, that we devalue the things we're naturally good at mm -hmm. because we assume that other people are naturally good at it too and then they yeah. don't need us. When actually you were talking through stuff with people and they leave being a better version of themselves and then doing better work. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is a thing. Oh, okay, I'll get paid for this. Cool. Oh, yeah. I remember so, really sense checking something with my husband that I wanted to put into one of our programs. And I remember we were sitting on the tube actually at the time here in London. And I remember turning to him and just saying, saying what this thing was. And I said, that's pretty basic though, isn't it? Like, should I, like seeking wisdom outside of myself, as I say to clients, is like, should I even put that in? He's like, yeah, because that wouldn't have occurred to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, okay. And he's like, what? And at which I, I say, and as you've just said, he said to me is, what is common sense to you isn't common sense to everyone else. And then the thing that I add onto that is it's often, even if it is common sense, it's not common practice. Spot on. And you've got 15 years of experience making that common sense, and, whereas and other I'm, people don't. Yeah. And a lifetime of wisdom and infinite intelligence running through me that isn't based on 15 years of experience. Just that's what occurs to me you. so obviously, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah so. that's so great. And so you then take on these first few clients. You spend a couple of years doing this on your own, trying to like yeah. find your footing and yeah. walk me through how the next few years go towards this near business death experience that yeah. you had. Yeah. So partnering with other people, which was great and learning from other people, which was so valuable for me. And then starting to take on my own clients and, you know, designing and delivering my own programs. And this is where we, we see mistakes. So mistake number one, that's where yes. we reach mistake number one in business. And that was really putting all of my eggs, well, the majority of my eggs into one client basket. Okay. And, you know, just how many years into it are you now when you so that was probably five years in. So bearing in mind, year one is Ben and Jerry. So, you know, we've got that year two is like teeny tiny turnover of like, oh, OK, kind of being forced to do other stuff. Year three is partnering more and getting more work with with other people and doing joint stuff. Year four is the same. Year five, the balance is redressing a little bit. So I'm not doing as much of the partner work, taking on my own clients. And then really, yeah, year five, so 2017, 2018, and just 
lo- not again consciousness right not bringing a consciousness to the choice and enjoying it it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying it and this one particular client you know was relatively good so it's like will you also do this could you also do that could you do it globally could you do it in this country could you do it with this team and it got bigger and bigger and I just wasn't I wasn't applying what I'd done in my own, you know, banking career of looking at the risk and saying, actually, what does that mean? Because I wasn't thinking of myself as an entrepreneur with the business, with a P&L, with a actual organization, right? Or even yeah. a, a book. It's like a different context that in your banking world, you knew the context of, let me tick off the risk here, tick off the pros. In the context of now I'm a consultant trainer, you're like, well, there's work. There's work in front of me. I've got to take all the work. And it is this like scarcity thinking when you're on your own and somebody's giving you work, you're like, of of course I'm going to take this work. This is security. Even if it is centralized security, it's still security. So I I get that completely. Yeah. And you want to say yes, right? You want to say yes to, well, for two reasons. One is because you want to grow your business and the bottom line, but, but also because saying no, and again, to the coaching with, which is exclusively, it doesn't matter if it's a CEO or someone more junior, every single one of our clients ha- that comes up as a difficulty saying no, mm, right. Wow. Which is a big part of then at, after, you know, the near death experience, which I'll talk more about. It was like, Oh, actually what, what would that be like if I said no? Like, what would it be like if I actually started to look at who do I want to work with and what am I up to in the world and what does that mean my yeah. company's up to in the world and what does that mean about who we want to work with, you know, at what price, in what way, and then, oh, I wonder what that would be like instead of like, oh, they, they, they want me for this or they, you know, they want my team for this or rather than having that sense of clarity around as I said, what, what I was up to in the world rather than just, you know, we often talk about in our leadership programs, like career development and, you know, have you had a career or have you had a series of jobs? Well, I didn't have a business. I just had a series of paying jobs. Interesting. And I mean, what's amazing to me as an observation from an outsider is you're six years into this now. Oh yeah. Give or take. And you still are fighting for that clarity, which I'm pointing out specifically because most people today believe that you can start a business and in two years, you know what you're doing. You know why you're doing it. You know how to make money. That is just not true for most people. I think it depends how you start because after this near-death experience, and you know, a lot of things changed for me, is I was speaking to a friend of mine who is just incredible as as an entrepreneur and she started at businesses and sold them, you know, as have you, whereas I wasn't seeing myself that way. And I said, look, I, I think I need some coaching around where I want to take the business. And mm. I was talking to her about this other person that she knew and she's like, no, she said he works with businesses that are much more established and developed than yours. I'm like, I've been going for six years now. And she's like, no, you have a startup. Interesting. And I'm like, no, I don't. How dare you? I have six years of experience. But really, it was yeah. a startup because it. I I was at that point where I was looking at, okay, what? Why? <laughs> why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it that I want to get up to in the world? How is that going to happen? Mapping it out, doing a business plan, all those things. And it was really wow. as much as I railed against, <laughs> like, how dare you? How very dare you? It yeah. was that sense of, oh, actually, if I just accept that that is... I'm not going backwards. It's not like 
I'm going back. Oh, I'm going back to square one. It's just like, actually, if I looked at this in the way that, you know, we coach a lot of people is around beginner's mindset. It's like, actually, if I looked at this with that lens, what, what might I see differently if I yeah. see this as an organization, as a business, as something more than me going in and doing something. Yeah. And was it around the same time that you were looking for external help with this startup that you have, that you were also committing very deeply to a single client? Before that. So what had happened ah. is I had had deeply committed, again, with great joy and, yeah, and, and loved time. working with them and, and you yeah. know, different programs and, you know, globally. So it was all an easy yes. It was just that when that stopped, <laughs> then it was one of those, again, cliched moments of like, oh, right. Shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what were they, like 80% of your time in your billings or more? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you did you easily. And I'm saying that without a specific, sorry, statistic, because no. I didn't do that then. You of know, course, I but a vague I wasn't guess. Doing it. It. Yeah. But oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you, it was a couple of years with them, or was it an almost immediate, oh, shit, this is bad? No, it was, it had been wonderful and wonderful for, for, for years since I started. And then it wasn't. And then it was rapidly, and I mean, in the space of a few months. Wow. Like, oh, shit. Okay. No, and well. to be very specific here, did you see it coming? Did they phone absolutely you? Was it not. a meeting? Like walk me through that moment I, where you were like, oh, fuck. No, I was completely blindsided, completely blindsided. And it was really, I mean, I, I, I think you are too. I'm obsessed with human behavior and how we create our reality and, and what it means to interact with other human beings. So there's always kind of this meta level for me as I'm experiencing things in my own life. But I do clearly at that time remember being totally shocked and at the unraveling of it which all started with with the conversation and and this is again you know mistake number one is all eggs in one client basket mistake number two is assumptions okay talk me through um, that so we had a long relationship a long history so when I was asked by, by one of the stakeholders to do a, a new piece of work, she said, you know, maybe half a day. At this stage, I had other clients who were paying me much more than what this client was, right? So I had never put my fees up with them ever wow. in five years. Which and is a hard lesson for people who sell their time that yes. even though it hurts, you've got to put your prices up every year. And that is a massive learning. Uh, two things. Yeah. One is don't sell your time. <laughs> yes. Don't sell time. Because we got into a conversation around a half-day rate versus a full-day rate. And why was my half-day rate that I was quoting to her for this new piece of work more than my full-day rate that she knew one of the other stakeholders was paying? So we're into a conversation, one, about time. So I learned that very quickly. And that really changed a lot of things for me in my business because we stopped selling day rates, which is, you know, led to really, I mean, I want to not losing other clients, but making it difficult for other clients to buy from us because they're used to buying training, particularly in terms of how yeah. many days is that plus design time. So that was one is, oh, having a conversation about how much of my time is not 
what I want to be doing. And yeah, that's not, uh, it's not smart actually. And looking yeah. into what that is. So that was one. And then two, to your point is having conversations. So there's, there's a, a context piece and a conversation piece for me that I realized I fucked up majorly. Mm. I fucked up in the way that, mm. you know, you're only ever responsible for your own actions and behavior is yeah. that we, I, I really, I can see myself sitting there and I had a 30 minute gap between one-to-one -one coaching clients. And at this stage I was in at the organization and I was seeing them back to back. I had 30 minutes and I'd said yes to this client to have a conversation about this piece of work. And I'd sent her the proposal, but it was, you know, for a half day mm. piece of work and back to the assumptions piece is I got on the phone, long established relationship, and she totally blindsided me, was incredibly angry. Wow. Incredibly. Because the pricing was higher yeah. than she expected. Yeah, yeah. So then I was like on the defense, Yeah. right? And then I'm, I'm saying, I haven't put my prices up in five years. I've got clients that are paying more than that. That's actually less than. So now I'm in defense mode because I, one, I'd made assumptions. And two, if the kind of get, when will Michael J. Fox show up and I can get in the DeLorean and time travel back is mm -hmm. to actually, and this was the other learning with clients going forward is have conversations. It doesn't mean a price increase every year, but have a, a really clear understanding that you're going to have a conversation at the beginning of each year to say what's yep. going on, whether it's about inflation, whether it's about the state of their organization, whether it's about the state of your own, the state of macro themes. Yeah. So you have a conversation so that it isn't a, but I haven't, you know, oh, but I haven't increased my prices for five years and actually I'm going yeah. backwards because of CPI. Right now I'm into, you know, I feel like the queen, like never explain, never complain, you know, but I was yeah. into explaining and defending. Yeah, and that's a dangerous place to be. Mm. Well, you were on the back foot, right? And, and you're a the, supplier. Exactly. Yeah. And that conversation unraveled in a way that I really did not expect. And it meant... Like just in that call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like and then what it, it meant It all was, unraveled there. Yeah. Well, it, then after that call, the knock-on effect, because I had many other pieces of, of work and there were other parts of the organization that were, pay, were happy to pay an increased fee that were actually, and not for me, for, for one of my coaches. Yeah. So it was a real like schism in the matrix for me. I was like, <laughs> something is very strange here. And I was just so as I said, blindsided and it unraveled fast. And then it was like, okay, wow. And in that way that we can sit here now and say, okay, well, I can see why. Mm. And that's the curious, being more curious and afraid is actually through anything that, you know, thankfully nothing like that has happened since, but through anything that feels like, holy crap, it's like, actually, let me be more curious and afraid. And actually that was true in that, in those moments as well, because some of the following conversations I remember coming to them with a state of real curiosity because I was like, truly like, yeah. what is happening? Yeah. What's yeah, happening I don't understand here? why you hate me so much. Where yeah, did this like, go wrong? Yeah. Oh, like, I don't know how this happened. And, and which is why I talk now a lot about finding the difference between ease and easy. Mm. Mm. They weren't easy conversations. 
but I knew what it felt like if I came to it with a, a, a settled, grounded ease mm. versus the opposite of what I call insecure thinking and ego and identity because then I was back into explaining. Yeah. yeah. Right? Versus actually when I and, – and I tipped in and out and that's, you know – many years later been is now my life's work of like actually how do you not how do you stay but actually there's a wisdom that guides us mm. which i didn't that's know that's so interesting yeah and i suppose you you learn it you know i i used to call this living at the forefront of incompetence you have to be confident enough in being unknown and living in the unknown that you'll learn quickly and you did so you failed you made a mistake you didn't price you didn't grandfather whatever and then this lady was like hold the phone this is bullshit we're out how quickly was the descent from conversation 30 minute number one to this client has left you completely and now you're dying as a business? Like, was it weeks, months, a year before everybody else in the business pulled out? Wow. One month and the client was gone. All the different areas of this business, they all just pulled out. Mm -hmm. And it was because this particular lady had then spread the word that you were trying to screw them or you got canceled as a supplier. How could that possibly so, happen so quickly? I don't know what happened internally and I'll never know. And and I tried to get meetings in person to sit down. I mean, bearing in mind that I, I train people on connection and communication yeah. skills. I'm like, I don't want to do this over the phone. Like, let's just sit down. We've got a long established relationship. I'm never going to know. I'm never going to know. And, you know, there were changes in leadership internally. One of my key client stakeholders left and I'm not quite sure why she left. So there was a lot going on and I I know that there is a, a, well, I know that you can control the controllables, right? And I didn't do that. I didn't do that before the event, right? Mm. Because I was just like, la, 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 oh, yes, 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 yes. And, and there was a, a, assumptions going along with that. There was lack of conversations. There was lack of context was the other thing, mm. particularly around pricing is mm. the context piece of it. So recent, flash forward to now and how I applied it is I recently had a conversation with a client who asked for a, a in, in effect, a discount as much as I don't like that word based on the volume of coaching, oh. one-to-one executive coaching. Two, two things that really occurred to me with great clarity in that is one, my value, because I do the CEO and partner level coaching still, and my coaches do the leadership and then the development programs. And there was just a, a, a sense of, no, that's a really clear no, and not mm. from a place of arrogance. Mm. It's a clear no. And then to the real learning, not the real learning, because that was part of the learning. I didn't know what was a yes and a no in that previous iteration. Yeah. There was a really clear opportunity for me to say, actually, I've held my pricing for your company for the last three years and it has increased elsewhere. So it's mm. not that I'm not giving you volume pricing, which is the context bit of it, right? But mm. it's actually setting the context for, you know, other clients are paying more than that. People who are purchasing a service from you don't have context on the broader industry. They no. just think you're the most expensive coach out there when maybe you're not, or you're the cheapest when maybe you're not. There is no general context for things that you're not an expert in. That's why you hire people. It's a very 
difficult chicken and egg that I can understand clients find themselves in. And it, it, you're right. It's our job to have the conversation with our clients, not to force a price increase on them, but mm. to give them context by having a conversation. I love those two things put together. I've never, you've, you've given me a new lexicon here that I appreciate that. <laughs> context and conversation with the big wrapper around both ends of curiosity and courage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those all tick boxes for me in my personal life and as an entrepreneur, like you can see these are so relevant and important as concepts. So I want to jump to the nitty gritty of the business now. At this time, this one client is 80% of your income. How many staff do you have? Do you have any other coaches on board or is it still just you? And what do you do the month after you lose 80% of your turnover? <laughs> I hire a really expensive coach. Did you really? Yeah. What a great move. And how many people yeah. in your business at this time? Me, the coach that was meant to deliver a whole lot of work. Okay. And as in this, it was actually coincided with the step change that I was accidentally making in my business. Of like, it's going just from me delivering everything to I now have a coach. She's incredible. Oh, She's been signed brutal. off. Right. <laughs> And, and that step change was occurring and she was going to start running several of the programs. It was like, okay, great. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's more than me now. Fantastic. Because I have a pretty big mission. I did then and I do now. And I was like, God, I can't get there on my own. This is fantastic. So it coincided with that. So it felt like a double hit. Yeah, um, enough to make around. anybody run for the hills, right? Oh, I'm going to expand my business. I've got this huge client. I'm going to hire my first coach to help me diversify my time and my income. And then, yeah. bam, the client fires me. And now I've got a salary I have to pay for. Yeah, exactly. Well, Shit. luckily, she was freelance. So luckily, okay. it was. So what I didn't do was have employed people okay. at the time. So, yeah, I mean, luck, luck is, yeah. I prefer yeah. to say grateful rather than luck. Like, I was grateful that I didn't. But yeah. that was part of the experience of the near-death experience was, I, I didn't only feel like I'd fucked up. I felt mm. like I'd fucked up on her behalf. Like, oh my God, she was relying on that income. She already had those dates in her diary. I had yeah. globally, I had coaches who were ready to deliver another program that I had to call. So it was mm. like this real sense of like, shit, not only is, is not just my bottom line taking impact, but my whole business and sense of self of who I am, what I'm offering and what I'm valued for. But then mm. actually these other people relying on me for income is probably too much of a stretch because you know they had their their own clients as well but that sense of like oh god I said that this was coming and now it's not so then yeah <laughs> got a coach and and this is this what this is why I say I was a startup because it was like I didn't know what an an ideal client avatar was I didn't know I did had never marketed anything I yeah. had never I didn't even know what it was to nurture a relationship I just was going from one referral to the next referral to the next referral. And then it was like, oh, 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 okay. You get to say like who you believe will benefit the most from what you're up to in the world. And yeah. you get to, to then go and talk to them where they're at. And then you get to say what that value is. And then you get to, mm. and then you get to, and then you get to. So that was really two years of just like, whoa, there's like, I just consumed, you know, there's always a, a, a consumption versus contribution kind of equation going. I was like in consumption mode of, wow, there's a whole weight, which I'm sure your listeners are like, yeah, duh, there's an ideal client avatar. I mean, I had no, 
I really I no. had no concept. I had just stumbled no. into kind of creating this business. Yeah. I don't think that that's an obvious thing to most entrepreneurs. And, and I mean, you've kind of summed up why I even have this show because what is obvious to you is not obvious to everyone else. And yeah. like, there are these really basic things. Like, I mean, I've met entrepreneurs who've got hundred million dollar businesses who don't know how a PL looks or who don't know what a budget is. Like sometimes you just stumble into building this thing that has traction and then you're like, holy shit, I'm so underqualified to be here. <laughs> and so what I respect about what you did is in spite of having 15 years of experience and in spite of having a seven-year-old business now, eight-year-old business, and in spite of being a coach yourself, you had the wherewithal to go, I think I fucking need a coach. And my question to you then is, where did you find a coach to suit you and how did you go about starting that process? So actually, the conversation came out of a really dear friend of mine. She's incredible. She has She's a personal stylist and, and that's her business. And she was going to work with this coach and it was a group coaching program. And at the time I thought I absolutely trust her. I didn't know anything actually about this coach. It was one of those no like trust, but it was fully Mm. trust in my friend. And so I joined, I think the month after she did and had was just launched into this situation with other entrepreneurs, which again was really delightful because I hadn't had that. I hadn't had that situation of like, oh, Oh, there's other people figuring all of this out. And it's kind of cool to see what they're doing and be inspired by that, but also to see what they're challenged by and be connected by that. It's such an important thing to like surround yourself by people that you want to be like. Yeah. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, get to know entrepreneurs. You can't be friends with bankers and try and be an entrepreneur. You have to be in some part of a community of people you want to be like. So that group coaching is genius way to do that. You like circumvent a lot of the admin of networking and just uncover these other people. Yeah. And I mean, I do it now. I have a leadership circle at that partner level and, mm-hmm. and albeit they're For in different organizations. Companies. They're in organizations generally. I think we have one... CEO of her own business in there. And that's what they get to do, right? Is where they have mm. their one-to-one coaching with me and then they come together once a month and, and they're talking about similar things, whatever the theme is, whether it's about how to navigate failure or saying no or setting boundaries or, you know, time, how to get more time, how to find the balance, how to, how to, how to, how to, you know, deal with attrition, retention, like all of the business problems, but actually together and not by design, actually, but by default, they're all senior female leaders, which has mm. been quite interesting. And that maybe just amazing. the fact that I was a senior female leader in, in, you know, my career, maybe, but that also. Yeah, what a valuable community. Oh, it's, I love, I just love it. I love it. And, and yeah. the, the sparks that happen which is what was happening for me as I, I went through mm. this program, the sparks that happen in there that I can't predict, right? And neither can yeah. they. Yeah. And the way that they feel when they contribute, contribution versus consumption, and they see someone else go, oh. Mm. And the way that they consume, that gives them confidence. And I go like this because literally that is one of the words I would like to ban from the English language for a whole nother podcast. The way that they contribute, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. And then they're realizing their yeah. own common sense. Yeah. And then the way that they consume by by deeply listening and being affected through that connection from someone else is mm. so divine to watch. And then obviously they're getting mm. coaching from me. I mean, clearly no one can do anything without me, Nick. No. But, <laughs> own it. Own it. Yeah. But, <laughs> is it? No. But they that, that connection. So I found that. I found that in that program. Yeah. And I found that. And it's interesting that you say if you want to be an entrepreneur, surround yourself with entrepreneurs. I don't. 
And as I said, it was only recently that when I had this recognition, I was like, oh, I am an entrepreneur. I don't think I even saw myself as an entrepreneur then. I mean, what I would say to people is if you want to create change in the world, then surround yourself with other people that want to create change in the world. Because there's a lot of people in organizations that want to create change in the world. They're never going to be in an entrepreneur's group. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. But specifically so, to, I feel like to level up and it's something I've done my whole life. I've never had a mentor and I've never actually had a proper coach. What I did was find friends who were more impressive entrepreneurs than I knew I could be. And i forced my way to be friends with them. And then I just watched them and listened to them and engaged with them. And then they lift you up to their level. Mm-hmm. That, that, that whole saying where, you know, you're the, I could judge the five, judge you by the five people you're best friends with. I don't buy that. I think you pick up the worst habits of the five people you surround yourself with. Like if you can deal with being the worst parts of those people, <laughs> great. And like, if the worst parts of my five best friends are that they're stubborn entrepreneurs, I'm okay with that. And that's kind of the thesis that I went with. But yeah. I want to I want to jump to that that month after this all happened and you get a coach, do you slowly start trying to find new clients? Do you pull back for a bit? Do you go into a depression like how did you recover because that is a brutal experience for any business at any size to lose mm. 80% of your income in a 30-minute call followed by a month. What mm. happened thereafter? So did I go into a depression? No. Again, the curiosity was like, oh God, I wonder, like, don't, and please don't, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, okay, la la, she's just, I mean, a client that I started with recently was like, God, you're so light and free and uplifting. And I'm like, but it was almost like, I'm never going to be like that. There there were plenty of like, oh, fuck Mm. moment, but again, the curiosity that was like, oh God, right. How is this unfolding? And what does that mean? So no, I didn't feel there wasn't a depression. There was definitely a sense of, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself as to how, how much of this is true or is this, I mean, we rewrite history because memories are flawed because we're literally pulling them back out of our brain every time we retell it in a new way with a new emotion. But there was a sense of, and I was in a privileged position because I wasn't the responsible for the mortgage, right? Like my income went towards everything, but I wasn't the only person bringing in money. So, you know, I appreciate it. Double income house. Yeah. Mm. If you're like the only, it's like, fuck right now, I'm going to pay the mortgage. So I did Mm. get to play in the sense that it wasn't like the children weren't going to get fed. And bearing in mind that at this point, I just had my second, had I had my second at that point, or I might've been pregnant with her. So, you know, either way, whether you'd had her or you were still pregnant with her, even more pressure on this experience of new business, new client, lost 80% and I'm pregnant or I've just had a kid. Holy crap. This is all just insane. And it is insane. Yeah. And and I think the, (laughs) I was going to say, I love the insane moments of life, but it, what, what it did is it, it did, I did, as I said, have that opportunity to play and go, oh, okay. And all the stuff, the idol, client avatar, et cetera. And I actually, and I really valued this. I got to sit down and say, answer all the questions that, that I was being asked is like, what do people get out of working with you? Mm. Who are they? What's important to them? What are their challenges? What's different after you've worked with them? So all of those things that I had sort of just been going, yes, 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 yes. Was like, oh, wait a minute. What, what is it? And then, oh, I get to not just put language around that, but I get to put intent behind it. And that's the difference between being a reactive entrepreneur and being a proactive entrepreneur. 
is yeah. in the first bits of your business, you were reacting to referrals or whatever you needed or money. Then this heartbreak came and you were like, no, what do I want? And that's when you, in the beginning of the show, you were talking about choice and conscious choice. And I love this, the idea of agency for people. We, we don't believe we have agency and it's, it's like the biggest lie the world ever told us is that you, you just have to do what everyone tells you. But you have agency and it seems to me like this heartbreak was the best bad thing to happen to you in your business. Totally. And, and I, it sounds, again, this is why I say it sounds cliched because it was like, oh, I was cut and it was sort of cliched moment of like, what do I want to do now? I'm all grown up. Mm. And then it was like, oh God, no, this was the absolute best thing because what it showed me was some of the things I've already covered, but also that I would have, I mean, how do I know? Cause I'm not in the DeLorean with Michael J. Fox. God damn it. But I would have just kept going on the same way mm. with time for money and time for money for my coaches. Yeah. And it would have still been the same way. And then I realized that actually, no, that I, I don't want to make like the incremental changes. I mm. want to create a huge impact in the world. And in order to do that, I get to not need to get to change, not just who it wasn't so much who I'm working with because a lot of the organizations are similar in financial services, but mm. how we're working with them and then how we're speaking to them, marketing to them. And it's not even like I suddenly started doing lots of marketing. It was just the, my ability to have conversations and context mm. with curiosity and courage parenthesis changed and, and elevated because in that group I was, I mean, we're all at different stages, but I was a baby because I was like, well, how do I figure out? How do I figure that out? How do I figure out my ideal client avatar? It's like, well, who do you love working with? It's like, I don't know, everyone. Otherwise, I wouldn't have worked with them. So it was kind of going from this like vagueness mm. to to creating that that clarity. And then knowing that it's okay to change that, mm. that it's okay to go, oh, oh, I thought it was this and, and actually that was kind of cool to play with. But then I got more information and data in and then I went, oh, actually, um, well, there's a fine line between going, oh, I actually, and evolving it versus what I call shiny magpie syndrome, which is like, oh, yeah, but what about that? But what about that? Oh, what about that? What about that? What about that? You know, that's definitely, yeah. that's how I know I'm an entrepreneur now because every single one of us that I know anyway, and I'm sure the other the same. squirrel like, brain. <laughs> yeah. So that brings two th thoughts to my head that my listeners, some, some will be quite familiar with. One of my nickisms in life is strong opinions loosely held. And yeah. I tied to that is you're not a tree. You do not have roots. You are capable of moving. Oh, yeah. So if the facts change, it's okay to change. There is no historical you that predicates you have to be this way. You yeah. are allowed to fundamentally be something different if you want to be and if it's useful. And that's a segue into my one of my few final questions for you is for those people with coaching businesses or businesses that sell time, how did you change your business model after this experience? Like what fundamentally changed? Because you still have a coaching and training company. You still do consulting. What do you mean you don't sell time? Mm. So be prepared to lose clients <laughs> is okay. what I just put behind this is be prepared mm. to lose clients because they don't, a lot of them don't know how to buy other than that. Okay. Be prepared to remove your own assumptions about the fact that a lot of them don't prepare, can't buy without that. Is <laughs> the other side of that is. Yeah. So I moved into, and I, and I read a book actually, my coach recommended, which was by Alan Weiss. Are you familiar with him? And Million Dollar Consulting Proposals. And, and uh. that was helpful because it was like, oh, actually, 
there is a way to have a conversation first, which really establishes value. And I was doing them again without intent. I wasn't doing them on purpose. I was having those conversations with clients before of like what's going on and what's challenging and who would this be for and how would they benefit from it? But it wasn't in a structured way and it certainly wasn't with the view to being able to say, well, this is what value you'll get for this amount of money. So there was a- Not what time you'll get. That's a big distinction, even in the way you subtly phrase that. It's not like, oh, for this much time, I'll give you this much value. It's for this much money, I'll give you this much value. Yeah. And Mm. then- sticking with that conversation and making it worthwhile for them to have that conversation because some of them were like well I don't really understand it and can you just give us a price because we're comparing you to the other company that and they've given us this daily rate so okay we can kind of stomach the fact that it's not you that it'll be one of your coaches so hurdle number one had been passed Mm. but hurdle number two wasn't because they were still going oh yeah but Nick's this and high definition use that so I really again wanted to get away from the buying on price piece of it so one was was that book was interesting and and kind of news to me around how to do have those conversations with greater intent and then how you're replaying that back to the client whether it's in an actual proposal so our proposals actually they're all online now they're very thorough in terms of what what we're saying we're up to but what the obstacles are that they might need to overcome to buy that way so we structured our proposals differently we put evidence in there around the I mean, where we are at is at the apex of ancient wisdom and modern neuroscience, right? So Mm -hmm. that is weaved into everything we do. We would put the the neuroscience of things in, we do put them in the proposals of like, look, Mm. we can come in and do a two-day thing, but there's there's something called the Ebbinghauser curve that is, they're going to forget. So we would put that in there to say, look, they're going to forget. So what we're suggesting is (laughs) this longer term and it's not going to be, you know, per day as a result. And then we would have three options, which I'm sure most of your listeners know about, that kind of sweet spot pricing idea of this is what you asked for. This is a little bit more than what you asked for. This is the, you know, gold level. And then we literally put in every single one of our proposals that we do not price on time. Amazing. So you actually state it very clearly. We literally put a line in there that we do not price on time because we don't want you or any of your team to have to make a pricing decision if they need to contact us or call us about something. I think that is so obvious when you say it out loud, and I can't believe nobody else has ever said that to me, that we tell people we don't price on time. Like... It's so obvious when you say it, but I've never heard anybody say that before. (laughs) I mean, if you're listening and you sell time, like you should stop and just put that statement in your quotes. Like we sell value and we sell products and we sell projects. We don't sell time. It's genius. Such a simple, obvious thing. And I will tell you, I credit Alan Weiss with that because he literally, that's that's his whole, well, not whole concept, but that was a big part of what I took away from his book was actually, this is the line. This is, this is where we Mm. draw it. And this is how we say it. And also it's not like a shock to them at that point, because you're having conversations with them. And when you sit down into that with the ease that I talked about, it might not Mm. be easy to have that conversation, but you can bring that grounded, calm, focused drawing on what I call your innate wisdom and intelligence to go, Nick, it's really important to me that we actually change things in the organization. So if you're looking for a, a daily rate or like a two day program or a quick fix, I don't Mm. do that anymore. Cause I'll tell you what I used to. And it used to frustrate Mm. the heck out of me because Mm. I would see people make small changes and then get pulled back into 
the habitual way of being because the rest of the organization wasn't changing around them. Because it's so not a systemic So you're having the conversation mm. early on and you're filtering out, right, the people that aren't that's, ready for that. That's key. I was going to bring that up because I think it's an important thing is small businesses believe that any client is the right client when actually your client is the right one. You have to find your perfect client, that avatar you were talking about. It isn't focused enough because small businesses are trying to survive. And they think that by surviving is any client. And it's the opposite that is true. You have to be discerning and filter out the wrong person because the wrong client can destroy your business as you learned and you've perfectly illustrated here today. And, and having a lot of those conversations is helpful. And again, yeah. with more curiosity than fear because you're filtering at the same time as they are. And, and, and yeah. there's a, I mean, bearing in mind that, that we're in coaching and, and consulting and development. It, so, mm. it, you know, it might, this might not come to you innately, but our role is to hold you in a space of the unknown. Mm. So when I'm having that conversation with clients who haven't bought that way before, then what might happen if you're not used to that, if you're not in a coaching business, for example, is you might go, oh, fuck, they're not getting this. Mm. And then you've got a choice. You can stay in that place and carry them through that, grounded and knowing and connected to what it is that you believe and know your value to be or are happy to explore mm -hmm. with them. Or you can flip and go, oh, fuck, right, I just want this business. Okay, you know what? In this situation, why don't we start with a daily rate and then we'll see where it goes. You, you, again, the conscious choice is there, but the more conversations that you have, and I know I'm sitting here, maybe you're listening and you're like, oh yeah, she's got it all, you know, sorted and she has all these rich conversations. I fuck up all the time. And I, mm. you know, I wake up at three in the morning and, and go, oh fuck, why did I, why didn't I put that in the proposal, etc. But, but the continual, I mean, cause I am actually addicted to the F word, which is failure. Right. Mm. So I'm like, okay, cool. Failed there. Awesome. And I will literally ask my children that. What mm. did you fail at today? Which yeah. I found out recently. A client said, oh, Sarah Blakely said her dad used to ask her that all the time. I'm like, oh, really? Well, I'm in good company. My dad didn't ask I me, mean, but I ask my children that all the time, every week. What yeah, did you and fail I love that. today? What did yeah. you fail? So yep. for me, it's like, oh, failed at that conversation. That didn't go anywhere. Oh, fuck. Okay. Well, yeah. Failure is not, uh, I, I like to tell people that failure is a through point, not an end point. And if you can reframe it as a through point, then you're like, oh yeah, of course I'm failing. I'm, I have to fail. There is no other way to learn. You don't learn by only succeeding. You uh -huh. fundamentally, your brain responds to you failing and going, I'm going to burn that into my brain and then learn what I can do differently. Exactly. And, and the thing is, yeah. we all know that to be true. Yeah. We all know we just, that. Society tells us that it sucks to fail and that you are a failure if you have failed. And the, it's a key thing that I think most people misunderstand is having failed does not make you a failure as a human being. Like those things are separate and that's why we avoid it, right? It's because I feel like a failure when I fuck up. And, and it's not the same. And that's the bit that you said earlier about the, you know, the, the lie that we're all told. The lie that, that, uh, that we're all told is that we have to believe our thinking, that's great and we that's just great. don't because yeah. guess who's generating it and actually if I don't if I know that then it's not that I'm fearless it's just that I know that whatever comes next I'm completely designed to navigate and mm. that the call is coming I always say that screen movie did you ever watch it with Drew Barrymore one of my favorites yeah 
So you remember the very first one and Drew Barrymore's on the phone and she's Drew Barrymore, right? You're like, they're not going to kill her off. No way. (laughs) Are they going to kill off Drew Barrymore? And she's speaking to him and well, he's speaking to her and saying he's going to cut her, he's going to kill her. It's like, oh my God. And then on the other phone, the police say the call Call is coming coming from inside the house. Yep. And she just knows. She just knows she's done, right? And everybody knows. Great and that's the same thing as we, but when we know that and we know we don't have to believe our own thinking, mm. then things like imposter syndrome, things like failure, things like confidence, then then that's the richness mm. of the conversation that I can start to look at and go, huh, okay, if I didn't, if I actually didn't need to believe my thinking, what would that be like? And that is a fantastic place for us to end. So in closing, please tell my listeners where they can find you, follow you, buy from you, and hear more of your incredible consciousness thoughts. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you, lovely one. Well, highdefinitionnew.com if you want to check out what we're up to in the world. Please link in with me. Gita Trevorrow Seymour. See, I've even put Gita on there, not Gitanjali. That might change soon. I need to do one of those little voice messages to say how to pronounce my name on LinkedIn or Instagram for a little bit more on, on me and just reach out, connect. You can always get free coaching tips. That's a big part of what we're up to in the world. If you sign up to our email list because I want to give free content as much as possible. Andrew Huberman is just one of my absolute favorite neuroscientists and the free content that he gives out, I value so much. And if I can do a tenth of what he's doing to help people who are never going to be able to afford a coach, because democratizing coaching is is really what sits behind us at High Definition U. Do that as well and connect, ask questions, be curious. And I'm always happy to have a conversation. I mean, not about Ben and Jerry, because that time has passed. Well, listen, I am so happy that for you and your business, it's not over. Thank you.